me and it has comforted me this week. As a matter of fact, I believe the message I'm about to preach to you is more for the one who's preaching it than anyone else. And, and the truth is, that's that way a lot of time for me. I mean, I never want you to think that I'm standing up here in this pulpit and I'm preaching at you. I learned a long time ago that when I point fingers at someone else, there's three or four more pointing right back at me. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I realize we are all growing in our faith by the grace of God. If you believe that tonight, say amen. I need the truth of the Word of God in my heart and my life, just like you need the truth of the Word of God in your heart and your life. And it's by God's Word and the precious Holy Spirit that we grow to become more like Jesus. We are sanctified by His truth, and, and the Word of God is His truth for us. And so we all need it. We're all growing in this thing. And, and I needed this this week, I believe, really more than, uh, than anybody else. This message was truly for me. It's been a comfort to me. It's convicted me. And I hope and pray it is a comfort and maybe even a conviction if needed for you as well tonight. I know that God's Word is, um, is truth for all of us, that we all need to get a hold of us. What we're going to be looking at is Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, all right? Now, I want you to remember that all that we are reading here from Galatians chapter 1 all the way through the whole book, it's one continuous letter. I think sometimes we forget that because of the chapter divisions and verses. But you must remember, when Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapters, divisions, and verses. So it's really one continuous thought. And that's really what we need to see here if we're going to keep this in context with chapter number 2. Galatians chapter 3 is on the heels of Paul's argument that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That it's not because of our works under the law that we are made right with God or we are justified but it's because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Paul makes it plain continually over and over and over again that we are not saved because of who we are or what we've done, but we are only saved when we place faith in who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. Salvation happens when we place faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. And he's arguing that point continually throughout this powerful book that, that, man, has been such a blessing to me already. Galatians 3, we're going to look at these first three verses, then we'll come back and get as far as we can in it. O foolish Galatians, he says, who hath bewitched you, and that you should obey not the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you. Verse 2, this only what I learn of you, um, he says, Received you the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith. I love how he says that. He says, somebody's fooled you. Somebody has tricked you. They've bewitched you. And he wants to know who it is. He asked him that question in verse number one. And then he asked him another question in the second verse. He said, what I really want to know, what I really want to learn from you is, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by keeping the Ten Commandments, or or, or did you receive the Spirit by faith in Jesus? That's a very good question for them and for us. How do we receive the Spirit? You see, folks, a lot of times, well, I think we forget that a lot of stuff happens when we get saved. I mean, it is a supernatural, miraculous work when God the Holy Spirit saves somebody's soul. It really is. Let me tell you what takes place. The Bible teaches 
that our sin that separates us from God is forgiven when we trust in Jesus as Savior. It's washed clean by his precious blood that was shed on Calvary for the punishment for my sin and for your sin. Listen, our sins are forgiven and the Bible says they're put as far as the east is from the west. How many of y'all thankful to that tonight? See, I'm thankful that God has forgiven my sin. He's wiped the slate clean. Can you say amen? We, we talked about justification last week. Dr. E.V. Hill used to say that his favorite definition for justification is that God now sees me just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. That's pretty good. I like that. God now sees me in the righteousness of his son. And folks, I'm accepted of him, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. Isn't that good news? And that's really good news because I couldn't do enough to be accepted of God. I couldn't be good enough to be accepted of God. Jesus did it for me. He was born perfect, lived perfect, then went to a cross and took the punishment for my sin. And now the Bible says all I got to do is trust in him and I can be born again in the family. My sins can be forgiven. And this, not only is your sins forgiven, but the Bible also says because that sin's taken away, the separation is taken away, and listen, we are, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life so that we might be with God the Father for all eternity. Do you, do you realize that if you've trusted in Jesus not, you've got the hope of heaven? Never forget that. Never forget that. I've sit by the bedside of Brandy's grandmother some this week. She's in her last days here upon this earth. And she's talked about the things that God has begun to reveal to her. And man, all week, Brandy's come home with something new that her grandmother has been talking about. And you say, well, Brother Israel, maybe that, I don't care what you think. I, let me tell you what I believe. I believe God's doing something right there that's bringing comfort to her heart and to the heart of the family. You ever been around some of that? It's amazing. It's good to know that we have the blessed hope of heaven. It's good to know that this world is not my home. I don't know about you, but I'm about sick of this world. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. It is our blessed hope. Our name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let me tell you what else happens, though, and this is amazing. This brings a little heaven to here on earth. Do you know not only is our sin forgiven, not only, folks, is our, is our names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the Bible also teaches that at the moment we trust in Jesus, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, but not only are we baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body, but we're also indwelled by the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we uh, are now the temple of God. The temple is where God dwells. And now God dwells in every believer in the person of God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the question he's asking these Galatians is how would you get the Spirit? <laughs> how is God dwelling in you? How did you receive God the Holy Spirit. How did you really get saved is what he's saying. How did it happen? Did it happen by keeping the Ten Commandments? Or did it happen by faith in Jesus? Well, I'll submit to you this. Anybody who's ever been saved can only get saved one way. And that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You say, oh, no, wait a minute, brother Israel. You mean I can't keep the Ten Commandments and be made right with God? Well, if you're going to go that route, you better keep them perfectly. You better never mess up. If the Bible says thou shalt not lie, you better never tell a lie. Anybody in here never told a lie? If you're going to go that route, let me tell you what you better do. The Bible says thou shalt not put no other gods before the one true God. Has there ever been a time you've put something else before the Lord? Because if you have, you've broken the Ten Commandments. And the book of James says, if you've offended in one point of the law, it's just like offending in all of them. And it makes you worthy of condemnation. It makes you worthy of a devil's hell. Let, let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Let's say that you're hanging on a, on a chain with ten links over a fire. You're hanging on a chain with ten links over the fire. How many of those links have to break for you to fall in? Just one. That means if you've broken just one commandment, that makes you a sinner, that separates you from God, and that puts you on your way to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're going to keep the commandments and make yourself right with God, you better be perfect. And the truth is, none of us can keep that standard, so what we need is grace. What we need is Jesus. So Paul is asking the question and making the point, How'd you get the Spirit? Did you get it by works of the law? By keeping the law? Or did you get it by Jesus? Wow. Tonight, I want to speak to you, I want to preach to you, teach to you, whatever you want to call it, on the subject of being set free from the prison of perfectionism. Because look at the last part here in verse number 3. He said, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank the Lord that you have done for us what we couldn't do. You've shown us grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness that comes freely through the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done everything that needs to be done for us to be made right before God the Father who is holy. Thank you. God, for doing for us what we couldn't do. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I'm asking, Lord, tonight that you would have your will and your way in these services. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would move me out of the way and you would use me this evening for your honor and your glory to preach this truth to these people, to these people who are here, to these people who are watching. Lord, I'm praying that you put the right people that need to hear this message uh, within earshot of it tonight. God, that you would providentially do your work uh, to get your message out that salvation is by grace and it's through faith and that, Lord, all we need is you. Thank you, Lord, that you have paid it all. Nothing else needs to be paid. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Being set free from the prison of perfectionism because these Galatians who had been saved by grace and through faith Paul says, who's fooled you? Who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Why have you went back down this path? They had put themselves back in the bondage of trying to be perfect and keeping the law, trying to do everything uh, according to the old covenant when they had been set free 
of the Old Testament uh, law that they were trying to put themselves back into. And so what was happening with them, I believe, sometimes, many times, happens to us. We too try to put ourselves in bondage to a lot of things that we shouldn't be in bondage to. See, I believe there's a reason for that. How do you know, folks? Satan knows he can't keep Jesus from saving sinners by grace through faith. That's not going to happen. We've been talking about it on Sunday some. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is going to continually save sinners by grace through faith. Satan knows he can't stop that. But he's learned what he can do is put those sinners who have been saved by grace through faith, he can put them back in bondage and steal from them the true joy of their salvation. He can put them in bondage and, and listen, keep them from actually living the, in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for them. Many times he puts us back in the prison of perfectionism. And I think that's what was happening there. They were trying to make themselves perfect through works of the law. And it's, many times, it's the same thing that happens with us. And my goal is to prove it to you tonight according to the word of God. Now listen to me. I want you to get a hold of what I mean when I say the prison of perfectionism. Let me define our terms. What is perfectionism? Well, perfectionism is judging yourself according to your achievements. It's making a judgment of where you are according to what you do or what you have done. There's a very popular psychologist by the name of David Burns. Listen what he said when he described perfectionists. He said they are, these are those people who, whose standards are very high. They, their standards are beyond reach and um, beyond reach and reason, excuse me, and people who strain compulsively toward impossible goals. And they measure their worth entirely in terms of productivity and achievements. That's what a perfectionist is. That's what they do. He said, when you measure worth in terms of productivity and achievement, but you set for yourselves unobtainable goals then you, that you will never reach, then you feel, you'll never feel fulfilled and you'll never feel as though you're accepted. And I think that's exactly what happens many times with people who are children of God, been saved by grace through faith, but somehow, some way, have become trapped in this prison of perfectionism, still trying to keep, the, uh, keep do all the right things according to the flesh, um, and try to make themselves right with God, it steals from them the joy that you can have and should have in Jesus. Paul said that somebody had bewitched or fooled these Galatians who had been saved by grace and put them right back in bondage that they used to be in. And if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us. When we set for ourselves unreasonable goals and, and we, we view um, who we are according to what we achieve. Man, it's so very important that we get a hold of this truth. How many know there's a lot of words that are really good? How many know uh, perfect 
is a good word. Jesus said that we should be perfect just as our heavenly father in heaven is perfect. And he's making that uh, statement to a bunch of Pharisees who, are, who were the original legalists. And what he's trying to share with them is they'll never make themselves perfect in their own power. If they're really going to be made right with God, it's gotten through their perfection, but through his perfection. Same message he preaches unto us. Perfect is good, but when you put perfectionism, then it can be very dangerous. How you know legal? That's a good word that is uh, that that we use sometimes. Legal means that which is right, that which is just, uh, and so that's a good thing. But legalism can be a very bad thing, and that's what Paul was battling right here in this letter that we're reading. And so I want you to understand, perfectionism is a very, very dangerous thing. How do you know that you are in the prison of perfectionism? Well, I'll give you a few things that we can look to. There are certain things you can look at in your life to know whether or not um, you've put yourself in that prison. Um, I remember the first time that I went out to the county jail years ago. They used to have services out there on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And one of my pastor friends called me up and he said, man, somebody's uh, canceled for the night that was coming to preach. Would you come preach for us? That's the first time I'd ever been in there and preached. And man, it was, uh, it was a very, it's an amazing experience. God blessed, seen souls saved, and the Lord worked there that evening. And man, it was so good ministering with and to those guys. But when I walked through those doors, I could tell I was in the prison. I mean, I could look around at certain things, the bars on the, on the doors and uh, the locks that I had to walk through and the shackles that people were in. And I seen right off. I was in prison. There were certain things I could look at. Well, how many of you know there's certain things you can look at in your life and I can look at in my life? And I've had to look a whole lot because like I said, this message is truly for me. This message has hit me right between the eyes this evening. But there's certain things we ought to look at in our lives and see whether or not we've put ourselves in this prison. There's certain things we're to look at physically, certain things we're to look at psychologically um, that, that, that are in us in our individual lives that can, can really clear this up for us. Listen to what Dr. Warren Wiersbe said. He said, perfectionism, uh, it's a liar. It's a thief. It promises rewards, but instead robs you of your peace and your joy. And man, that's true. It does. It robs you of the peace that was purchased by Jesus and the joy that comes in knowing the Lord when you fall into the bondage of perfectionism. I want to give you just a few things here, uh, four or five of them, that uh, signs that you can tell whether or not you're in the prison. First of all, perfectionists, they're never satisfied. They're never satisfied. Now, why is that? Why is it that they never are satisfied with what they do? They never are satisfied with what they have. I'll tell you why. Because they believe they ought to be perfect and they need to be perfect. Some people believe they are perfect. You've ever been around them. They'll bless your heart. Uh, but what they soon find out is that uh, these perfect believing people, they, they, they soon find out that perfection is not obtainable. They're never going to reach that level. I'm never going to reach it. And you're never going to reach it. Grace teaches us that God does not accept us on the basis of our performance. Isn't that what we tell people when people get saved? God don't accept you on the basis of what you do. God don't accept you on the basis of what you have done or hadn't done. God accepts you by grace when you place your faith in the finished work 
of Jesus. That's how God accepts you. And that's how we come to the Lord. But something happens a lot of times after we've been saved for a while. We think, okay, we've been saved by grace. And we know that we have uh, been, we've received the Spirit like Paul was talking about there in verse number 2. We know God's made a difference on the inside that is making a difference on the outside. But we forget that all of that happened by grace. And you think, you know what we got to do? We got to start doing all this other stuff. We've got to have all these other achievements if we're really going to be what God wants. That was the trap that these people fell into, and that's the same trap that we sometimes fall into. We really do. Now, when we begin to think that God is pleased with us by our achievements, because that's what a perfectionist does, when we th begin to think that God is pleased with us by what we achieve, then listen to me, folks. We're, ever, we're never really going to be at peace with whether or not we're accepted of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we believe we are made right by our achievements, by what we continually do, we will never know how much is enough. If we never know how much is enough, we'll never have peace in knowing that we are accepted by God, that we are loved by God. I'm going to say something to you that's going to blow your mind. Because it's blown mine. It's blown mine the more I've thought about it. There is nothing you do from this point on Nothing you do from this point on in your life that's going to make God love you any more than he loves you right now. Let me tell you why. Because you're not accepted by God because of your achievements. You're accepted by God on the basis of his grace. You are not justified because you're good. Folks, we're justified because He's good. We're not justified because we love God perfectly. We are justified because God loves us perfectly. But when you've got this perfectionist mindset that, listen, you judge yourself according to what you achieve, then you feel as though you can never achieve enough. You never know when you've done enough. I think that's where they were. I think that's where we sometimes find ourselves. Now, when we don't feel accepted, two things happen. First of all, we get angry at God. We'll get angry at God because, listen, He didn't make us perfect and the world's not perfect. That'll happen. Let me tell you something else. Not only do we, will we sometimes get angry at God when we've got this perfectionist mind, mindset and we're never satisfied with who we are in Christ. Not only we get angry at Him, but uh, folks will also become afraid of Him. And I think this is what happens more often than not. People who have this mindset that they have to keep doing more to make uh, God accept them. They have to achieve more to make God accept them. Then they're always afraid that they ain't done enough and they're afraid of what God's going to do. 
I think sometimes we've got this idea that God is sitting up in heaven with his scorecard. And he's looking down at me and he's saying, well, oh, 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 he's looking down at me and maybe he's looking down at Scott or he's looking down at Eric and he's looking down at Scott and he looks at Scott and he says, well, Scott's done pretty good today. I'm going to give him a B. I mean, he's done the things that, that he should do for the, for the most part, so he gets a B. And he looks at Eric and he says, well, Eric's done pretty good, but he failed a few times. I'm going to give him a C. And he looks over at Scott and he says, Scott, he's done really good. I'm going to give him an A. And then he looks at me and he says, man, Elvis ought to be ashamed of himself. And, and somehow we think that then we, we get the idea that God's some gray-haired old grandpa sitting a million miles away with a big old stick and if we don't make the grade for today that he's going to reach down and whop us over the head with it. Do you see what I'm saying? And we're never satisfied with who we are in Christ. We're never satisfied. We're never at peace this mindset robs us of our joy. We're never at peace because we never know if we've done enough. And we're robbed of our joy because we think we've got to be perfect, but we know we can't be. Are you getting what I mean? The perfectionist is never satisfied. Let me give you something else. The perfectionist will always be critical of other people. What I mean by that is the perfectionist will sit way up on their spiritual high horse and look down on everybody else. The perfectionist always think they've got it figured out and everybody else just trying to catch up. You ever been around folks like that? Sometimes preachers can be the worst. Folks, I want to tell you something. Listen to me. I don't care what pulpit you stand behind. I don't care what pew you sit in. We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we need God's grace daily. We do. Each and every one of us. But the per perfectionist becomes critical. Oh, man, I feel sorry for the person, for the wife who's married to the husband who's a perfectionist because she'll never get anything right. She'll never do enough to make him happy. I feel sorry for the husband who's married to the perfectionist wife because he'll never do anything right. He'll never do enough to make her happy. I feel sorry for the kids who grow up with parents who are perfectionist because they'll never feel like they're accepted because they believe they are accepted in their mom and dad's eyes by what they achieve. When that shouldn't be the way it is at all, should it? So we've got to be very, very careful with this. James 5, 16, I like how James puts it. He just puts things plain. I mean, if you want the gospel in shoe leather, then you just need to read the book of James. It's good stuff. But James 5, 16 says that we are to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. You may tell you why you just need to go ahead and confess your faults. Because usually people can see them anyway. Amen? Especially those closest to you. You don't have to act like you're perfect. You don't have to be on your spiritual high horse. Everybody knows that we're all in this together and we all need God's grace and they can tell that by how they look at your life, when they look at your life. And you can tell that when you look at their life. 
don't be critical, but extend the same grace to others that's been extended to you. But the perfectionist is always critical of everybody else. Nobody can ever do enough. The perfectionist ruins fellowship in the church. I heard a story about a man who was looking for the perfect church. And he was telling his friends about how he was going to find the perfect church. And one of his buddies that he was talking to looked at him and said, Man, if you find the perfect church, you better not go because you're just going to mess it up. That's right. That's true for that man, but it's also true for me. Folks, we're all a bunch of messed up people. We're all a bunch of crooked people. We're all a bunch of lost people without Jesus. We're messed up and we need to be made right by the grace of God. Listen, we're crooked and we need to be straightened out by the word of God. So if you've got problems, join the crowd. If you've got imperfections, join the crowd. If you need God's grace and mercy daily, join the crowd. That's what we're here for. Listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. You need to understand. All of us have got to come to the understanding that the church is a body of Christ, but it's filled with imperfect people. Dr. Adrian Rogers said something I love. He said, the church and the hell's angels are the only two organizations I know of that you ought to profess to be bad to get into. And he's right. You got to come to the realization that we're not where we need to be and we need the grace of God. You got to come to the realization that we are condemned to a devil's hell because of our sin and seek out a savior. We got to come to the place where we know if God don't do it, it ain't going to get done. But those who don't understand that ruin fellowship in the local body. The perfectionists sets themselves unrealistic goals. goals. They, they try to achieve something that's unachievable. Now listen to me, folks. Is anything wrong with setting goals? We talked about this Sunday morning. Is there? No. You should set goals. But it's important you set goals that are somewhat reachable. Because if you never reach goals, pretty, pretty soon you just get burned out. Pretty soon what's going to happen is you're going to feel though, what's the use? And so it's important that we set realistic goals for ourselves, for our families, for our children. It's very important. The Bible teaches this. Exodus 23 Verses 29 through 30. I think that Joshua might have had some problems with the perfectionist mindset because God told him something here in Exodus 23, or excuse me, uh, Exodus 23, 29 through 30. Watch this. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased 
and inherit the land. So what God tells Joshua, he says, look, I'm not going to let you go into Canaan and take everything over in a year. I think Joshua was thinking, his goal was, we fixing to go in there and mop up the ground with these Canaanites. We're going to go in take over everything. God says, no, no. That's an unrealistic goal. <laughs> I'm going to give you the land. It's going to come to you. I promised it to you. You stay faithful, do what I've told you to do, but it's going to come in my time. So we need to set goals that in some way is realistic for what we're actually looking forward to, just like God told Joshua. Let me give you this one. I love this one. The perfectionist is a realist. Or excuse me, the perfectionist is an idealist and not a realist. What do I mean by that? They have an idea of how things ought to go, but they're not looking in reality to how things are. A lot of times that's why we have divorces. Did you know that? I heard someone say that a lot of people who get married, they're in love with an ideal of what marriage should be. But before they know it, they're in an ordeal and they want a new deal. Because that ideal relationship that they're in love with, it don't really happen. And then reality sets in. Jesus himself was a realist. Do you remember when Jesus was performing the miracles to prove to the people that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, God incarnate in the flesh? And there was a lot of people who were just following him because of the miracles. And the Bible says that he had a great multitude, but he gave him, following him, but he gave himself to no man because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew the reality that these people wouldn't follow him because they were seeking a Savior, because they were truly seeking a Messiah. They were following him because he was doing the miracles, because he might feed their hungry or they might see something cool that they'd never seen before. And so he realized the reality of how people truly are. Now we need to do the same thing. Don't be simply an idealist that you have an ideal um, idea of what, how things ought to be, how things are going to go, but you, you don't deal with how things actually are. Perfectionists have a problem with that. Perfectionist values himself by what he does and not who he is. I love that. I love that. That's why it's so important that we as children of God, we find our identity in Christ. We've been talking about that in our men's group the last uh, few months. What does it mean that we find our identity in Christ? What that means is I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Can you say amen? And because of that truth, listen to me now, regardless of what happens or don't happen, I still know my worth. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he's done for me. It's not about simply what you achieve or don't achieve. It's about who you've trusted. Now, don't get me wrong, though, folks. I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't strive for perfection. How many times have you heard me say that every day we need to perfectly purpose to live out our faith? Make it our purpose every day. To be pleasing unto the Lord, to grow in our faith, and to become better in everything we do. We certainly should. But you need to realize that it's not your achievements that make you acceptable to God. 
It's not your work that makes you acceptable to God. What makes you acceptable to God, to, to God himself is your faith in his son Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Your identity is in him. I love this one. This one really convicted me. The, the perfectionist feels guilty if he relaxes. Because he thinks he's always got to do more. Be more. Achieve more. And I feel like sometimes that's how I am. I, I, I'm afraid to not do that. It's important that we do. So let me ask you this. Finally, how do we break free of the prison if we find ourselves there? And I want you to get a hold of this. If I give you all this other and I don't get, you don't get a hold of this, then, then it's really not going to help any of us. But how do we break free of this prison of perfectionism? Well, I'll tell you how I believe. First of all, we've got to learn and then believe we are accepted into the beloved by the grace of God. You've got to know that. Why do I believe that? Well, Ephesians 1.6 tells us exactly why. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 6. The Bible says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted. Everybody say accepted. So how has He made us accepted into the beloved? By His grace. By His grace. Somebody give me a good definition of grace. Undeserved favor. Exactly. Exactly. It's by God's undeserved favor. Not that I deserved it. Not that I've done anything to achieve it. Not none of that. But just because God loved me, He's shown me undeserved favor. And because of that, I'm accepted into the Beloved. Look, look at the next verse, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You need to learn according to the truth of the word of God that you are accepted not by your achievements, not by your good works, because you can't achieve enough. You can't work enough. You need to learn according to the word of God. You are accepted in the beloved by God's undeserved favor, his amazing grace. Because he loved you and he loved me, he's shown us grace through the person of his son. So we need to learn and believe that we are accepted by grace. But let me tell you something else. We need to accept ourselves, who you are. I was talking to a lady just the other day. And she said something that um, really struck me. She said, that she was just a housewife. We were talking and she said, well, I, all I am, I'm just a housewife. I mean, what more important thing could you be? There is no more important or powerful job than that. You are raising up the people that's going to lead this country tomorrow in our future. You are raising up future pastors and missionaries, doctors and lawyers, presidents, senators, whatever. You're raising up 
the people that's going to make a difference in years to come. So don't feel as though, don't, don't listen to this lie of the feminist that says you've got to go out and be the CEO of a company before you're actually successful. No, accept yourself. Listen to me. God made you to be you. And he's given you a grand, amazing, fantastic purpose. That's true for the, for the housewife. That's true for the factory worker. That's true for whoever. As long as you do what you do for the glory of God, that's what makes all the difference. Again, I'm not saying we don't want to strive and better ourselves. And I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But you need to realize who you are in Jesus. You, you are not accepted because of what you do. You're accepted because of who you are. Amen? So accept yourself. And let me tell you something else you got to do. You got to accept others for who they are. Not everybody's going to be like you. Not everybody's always going to think like you. They're not. Not everybody's going to meet your standard. But guess what? That's okay. Because it's not really my standard that counts. And it's not really your standard that counts. So accept people for who they are. And listen, meet them where they are. Like I said before, extend the same grace to them that was once extended to you. That is continually extended to you as the beloved. We've got to do that. If you sit up on that spiritual high horse and look down on everybody else, it's really hard to reach people. I'm not saying to condone or okay sin or a sinful lifestyle. That's not what I mean. I mean, we still got to hate the sin, call right, right, and wrong, wrong, but folks, we got to love the sinner if we're going to make a difference. We got to. Got to meet them where they are. Speak truth in love. And extend the same grace to them that's been extended to us. Does that help you? That helped me. That helped me because I struggle with a lot of this. I want you to know you are saved by grace. You can rest in the fact that you are saved by grace. I'm not working to be accepted into the beloved. I'm working because I have been accepted into the beloved. I'm not trying to please God to make myself right with God. I'm, I'm pleasing God because I've been made right with God. Again, our works are not the reason for our salvation, but the result of it. Rest in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He has done enough. He has. A lot of times Satan wants to put us in this prison of perfectionism and he does it by using the shackles of legalism. And we don't have to stay there. Rest in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He's the way. Anybody got